welcome. This is a Vascular Forum interview. Welcome all to this new episode of the Vascular Forum interviews. Today's interview is going to be dedicated to chimney EVAR or CHIVAR. For those of you who are not familiar with this technique, we will begin with a brief overview of what it consists of and in what cases we should consider it. Then we will discuss some technical developments that have occurred during the last couple of years, especially regarding measurement and sizing, which have led to substantial improvement in the durability of these procedures. To talk about all this, we have with us here today Professor Konstantinos Donas and Professor Mario Lachat. Professor Konstantinos Donas is the head of the vascular surgery department at the Asclepios Clinic Langen in Frankfurt, Germany. He was the lead investigator in the Periclis study, the landmark publication of the clinical results from the performance of the chimney technique for the treatment of complex aortic pathologies. Professor Mario Lachat is the co-head of the Aortic and Vascular Center in Zurich. He was one of the main collaborators in the Periclis study and has over 20 publications regarding treatment of complex aortic pathologies using chimney crafts. Welcome, Konstantinos and Mario, and thank you very much for joining us here today in this edition of the Vascular Forum interviews. Hi, everybody. Greetings to all of you. I'm very happy to participate in this very interesting webinar together with my good friend Mario Lasha. Could you please give a short overview what chimney EVAR consists of and when it should be considered as an indication for AAA treatment? I think indeed the treatment of complex aortic pathologies is very demanding and very challenging, especially in case of no adequate seal zone and sufficient neck for a standard endovascular repair. The main goal with the chimney endovascular technique is to create a new seal zone by placement of covered stents parallel and outside of the main abdominal endograph in the involved target vessels. The chimney technique is some kind of single or multi-branch solution for challenging patients. The difference of the branch stent graft or fenestrated stent graft where the branch is locked in a dock or a fenestration the chimneys are some kind of parallel grafts that runs in between the aortic wall and the aortic stem graft wall. They can be used as a single solution or in combination with a fenestrated or branched stem graft. They have the main advantage that they can be used as bailout or in emergency situation in centers that do not have access to off-the-shelf stem graft systems in the emergency. This is exactly the main benefit of this technique because this allows a treatment 24 hours per day. We can treat symptomatic or urgent anatomical conditions without the delay of manufacturing. On the other side, it is also important to highlight that it is crucial to select dedicated device for this indication. It's very important to know the features of each device you are using we know very well that self-expanding stents have a poor radial force compared to balloon-expandable covered stents. This is crucial because if you don't compare suitable combinations and devices, you can have poorer outcomes. So I think this is why some colleagues have a suboptimal experience with this technique compared to others. You would say that this is a technique that is mostly going to be used for urgent patients, either symptomatic or ruptures, in which you can't have a more dedicated, customized endograph made. 
that's maybe the majority, but in good selection of patients, in good selection of the devices, if you have an appropriate landing zone, I think yeah. it's equivalency to another solution, you know. So it's recognized for bailout or emergencies, but it still offers excellent results in patients that have a very appropriate anatomy. In this context, I would like also to highlight this. It is a little bit unfair to say this is only for bailout situation or symptomatic cases because we have increasing evidence also in the literature. Petulias published this recently that in elective cases, the technique performs also very well considering that you are using devices with a low crossing profile, with advanced conformability in angulations, and this fits anatomical situations which are outside of IVU to treat by fever, for example. Also, for many centers, they don't have any other option. And in this concept, we have increasing evidence that the technique performs very well in elective standard cases. Of course, it started as bailout. We know very well the first report from Roy Greenberg. But over the time, we see that also for a single chimney situation, the technique can perform very well. We know that the first clinical case was from 2003, and for approximately 15 years, while developments in this technique have been being made, Chiba has fell outside I've used for all commercially available stent grafts. We know that traditional stent grafts have been designed with a view of landing in at least 10 or 15 millimeters of healthy neck, and that the configuration of the proximal ceiling stent, including its length, radial force, hooks, barbs, and other adjuncts, have been designed with this anatomical idea of the straight neck in mind, not with the idea of having two chimney stents inside. So what were the initial results of this technique when we didn't know so much as we know today of what the ideal anatomical characteristics are or what the ideal bridging stents and endographs are? Were there any major intraoperative or short-term complications related to this technique at the beginning? Well, I think in general, the main problem and the main limitation was to standardize the technique, to identify the limitation, as you said. And this was, let's say, the first step when we considered with Professor Lasha, Professor Torcello, to see when the technique performs well and when we have suboptimal outcomes, which combination performs better. Because as we highlighted, we are using off-the-shelf devices. We had issues regarding the patency of the chimney grafts, especially if you are using devices with uh, poor uh, radial force. Uh, also, the point of uh, suprarenal stent, do we have an interaction with the balloons of the chimney graft with the suprarenal pins? It's better to use a device without suprarenal stents. So there are a plethora of questions and options which had an influence in the overall feeling about this approach. This was the reason why we evaluated this in a more uniform manner with a standardized approach in the Pericles registry, trying to identify the strengths and the limitations of this technique, including centers with high experience, but also centers with suboptimal experience. Over the time, we focused within the Pericles group, not only on the general outcomes, patency, sac regression or not, but also to see what about stroke. We are coming from the upper extremity. Do we have a high incidence? Which factors plays a crucial role? What about the gutters? How can we avoid the impact of oversizing? 
I can summarize it on a different regard is that uh, the technique was introduced to rescue branches. So it was purely a bailout. And then we moved to a more intention to treat approach to achieve a good outcome. I think now that we have identified the stem graft that should be used in combination, branch patency is good, sac increase is very low, aneurysm rupture is very low. But the way from the bailout to a more comprehensive approach was by the way that Donas was explaining, by addressing questions that arise during the learning curve. The Breakless study was published in 2015, and it's considered the landmark publication for GVAR. And it did report nearly an 8% of intraoperative type 1A endoleak, which was in 5% corrected intraoperatively, but 3% left the OR with a type 1A endoleak, which is a considerably high rate, one could say. So... Two questions here. So what are the intraoperative adjuncts that one can use to avoid type 1A endoleaks? And if this cannot be resolved intraoperatively, what are the next steps? I remember very well when we started with the chimney technique, everybody couldn't believe that this technique can seal or can lead to an exclusion of an aneurysm due to the concept and the design of having parallel grafts outside of the main abdominal device. In general, it is a benign phenomenon. You are expecting to have gutters when we are using this technique. The main question is, are these gutters persistent? Do we have a continuous feeling of the sac with increase of the pressure on the sac? Are these gutters present in the first CT scan? Which factors influence the disappearance of the gutters? So in this context, I don't believe that it is a big problem because we learn, we evaluate this with CT scan. It is appearing within the first in the hospital before discharge CT follow-up in more than 90% of the cases. You think when you take the heparinization away from the patient and you let the coagulation play its role, that the, yeah. the gutters will, in most cases, resolve by itself? Yes. To evaluate this, see the CT scan. If it's still present, you can make a new CT scan and after three, six months and then treat it, lengthening the seal zone or using cholesteronics. But you ask me about the perioperatively tricks and tips. I think it's crucial, and we learned this also from in vitro studies, the kissing balloon technique after the deployment of the devices. You have to spend time to balloon your device and improve the conformability around the chimney graft. In the majority of the cases, you will have, uh, per se, a better outcome after contrast medium application. And then is crucial the preoperative planning and sizing regarding disappearance over time. With any kind of branch reconstruction, you will see in maybe 5 to 10% a sac feeling at the completion of the procedure, where you don't know exactly where it's coming from. And because it would be so tough to identify exactly the cause of the leak, you will complete your procedure, wait, do a CT, and try to identify the cause. It's the same for the parallel graph technique. You know, there are high flow, low flow endolics that you will see. In huge 
high flow endolake, you will try to embolize it with material or with onyx. But that's rare that you have a very high flow endolic. If necessary, you will go higher with your aortic stent graft, maybe a little bit higher with your chimneys. You have options. But I would say in my experience, it's very rare that you have a dangerous endolic at the completion. Since the publication of the Pericles study in 2015, there have been numerous articles focusing on different technical aspects, for example, endograft selection, type of chimney stent, degree of oversizing, that have led to an increased understanding of the sealing mechanisms of these procedures and an improvement in both short and midterm outcomes. One of the fundamental publications regarding technical aspects was a study published by the Pericles collaborators in the journal Vascular Surgery in 2017, which looked at the identification of the optimal device combinations for the T-bar technique. Could you tell us what were the most significant results of this study and how this has influenced your clinical practice? What we saw was that the presence of a flexible nitinol endoskeleton of an abdominal device seems to have a superior conformability around the chimney graft. So if you are using a device with a stainless steel endoskeleton, you have more stiffness in the neck. And this can have an influence in the persistence of the gutters because we know that the balloon expandable covered stents are, if you are using the Advanta, is rigid compared to other options like B-graft or BBX. In this context, the presence of flexible nitinol endoskeleton conforms very, very nicely around the chimney graft. Then the other benefit is the use of these devices has the short M-shaped stents. And this is something which we published in the Protagoras 2.0 study in the European Journal. And the presence of the M-shaped stents allows an expansion within 5 millimeters of, let's say, more than 10, 12 millimeters. And this fills nicely the gap of the aneurysm. This leads to the disappearance of gutters in the proximal segment. So this uh, highlights how important is device selection for this technique, even if theoretically you can use the devices of your stock and of your, uh, let's say, uh, experience. I would say with Dacron fabrics and in this configuration, there is a redundancy of a Dacron that will seal also. You know, it's not the stent that will seal, but that's the plastic that will also seal very nicely. The endurance endograph received the CE mark for its use in Chivar procedures. And as of now, is the only stent graft in the market with a CE approval for this technique. Has this changed your clinical practice? For me personally, I have vast experience with the Endurance device because this was the standard device we used in my previous center, but also in my new center. Over time, we learned and we saw the performance of this device, especially in challenging anatomies. I highlighted the low uh, crossing profile and the durability over time. I think in general, there are very few legal issues using off-label devices. But it gives you some reconfort or some security when you would use it. The other thing is that the regulatory are more prone to make studies or to control the behavior of the devices when this use is inside the instruction for use, which gives us also a good feeling to know that if something would be wrong with this, the regulatory would report it. So it supports the use of this combination. 
The recently published Protagoras 2.0 study focuses specifically on sizing and planning considerations when using the Medtronic Endurance Stent Graft. What were the main findings of this study? What we tried in this study was to focus on the preoperative planning and sizing, having as a patient cohort only the single maximum double cases with a standard combination of the endurance device with the Advanta balloon expandable covered stents. These results are based on this combination and we can extrapolate per se for other combinations. What we saw is that first the length of the seal zone and the degree of oversizing are the most crucial factors regarding the durability of the procedure. At least 30% oversizing is crucial. In case of double chimneys, 35%. And regarding the length, at least 20 millimeter, because we saw as Jean-Paul de Vries published for standard EVAR, you are losing 3 millimeter, depending on your technique and the expertise when you are deploying the device compared to your preoperative planning and size. Because when we decide to do the technique, we have to consider this. The second crucial thing is we identified the iliac axis and we saw that in 85% of the treated cases, if you consider the neck and the anatomy of the iliacs, we had anatomies outside of the IVU for standard fever by the Cook device. This shows that any comparison is not, let's say, logical to do because you have a completely different anatomy which is outside of IVU for fever. This was also why the technique was adopted in many centers because we had anatomies outside of IVU for a standard fenestrated endograph. So what we learned is that the combination of the length and the degree of oversizing should be more than 55 as numbered because we said 20 millimeter is the length, the needed seal zone, and 30 the degree of oversizing. This, I think, is a good tool when you are considering to perform Chivar and have the anatomy. So besides the iliac access, which may sometimes be out of IOU for FIBAR, do you have any recommendations or any considerations regarding the upper extremity access? What is the norm for you in these cases? We are using mainly the, the left, and in case of double chimneys, we can puncture the axillary artery after cut down with a distance of one or two centimeters. So you see the vessel and you can identify the better segment for the puncture. And then you can advance the seven French shift. In this context, I would like to say that regarding the chimney graphs, the available, let's say, devices, the big graph device is the only device which has the possibility to deploy any diameter you want over a six French shift. So you can deploy a 6, 7 or 8 millimeter B-graph device, not the plus, I mean the B-graph peripheral, over a 6 French sheath. This is a benefit, especially if you have a stenosis of the renal artery or if you have small vessels, it's better to use a 6 French sheath compared to the 7 or 8 French. In the recent years, there's been substantial improvement in the short and long-term outcomes after Chiever with the application of all these novel technical recommendations. How do the current short and midterm endoleak and chimney stack complication rates compare to those originally published in the Pericles study? So Lasha highlighted the long-term experience is very superior compared to the short uh, outcomes. 
you have to know that the majority of the treated patients were autogenarians, unfit for open repair. So you can expect to have a robust uh, long term in general. I mean, also for, for other options, experience and uh, outcomes. But we published this in JVS and the results are very good compared to what we expected to have. And what we learned is if you have complications or issues by Chiba, you will have probably in the first three, four, five months regarding issues like occlusions or stenosis of the chimney graft. But it seems over time that you have in the majority of the patients a very good outcome, especially if you consider preoperatively what is important, as we highlighted, the sizing and the degree of oversizing, the creation of a new seal zone of at least 20 millimeters, and the selection of suitable combinations and devices. I think the amount of reintervention is similar to fenestrated or branched reconstruction with less than 10% at three years. So it's not a huge amount, but we generally do inform all of our patients that the procedure will require a follow-up and probably intervention to fix patency or leaks. Now we know what type of chimney grafts we need to use, what type of endographs we need to use for improved sealing, for improved patency. What are the endoleak rates now or the chimney stentation rates? in compared to what they were at the beginning of, you know, at the, at the original publications in, in 2007, 2010, 2012? Probably we can answer this in 15 years because oh. then we will have the comparison what we know in the last years compared to the previous experience 15 years ago. I think it's very important to have a close follow-up of the patient, especially nowadays if it is not in a prospective randomized trial you need a meticulous follow-up over time. But I think we can answer this in the next time, the next years. What do you think, Mario? Yeah, I think partially you are right, and partially th there is something that we have to say. It was a work in progress, and uh, we did make some mistakes that we did recognize that we can do it better. For instance, addressing very narrowed vessels that shows a high occlusion rate. We did them for a while, then we stopped. Then um, we had short necks, we went to longer necks. Then we used three chimneys from the top and we stopped to do it. So we improved, but uh, I think that with one or two chimneys with a good neck, the results should be the same from at least since 2015 to now. We had a very consistent construction method but we eliminated all of the cases that we did know they are not good. So if we would retrieve from the statistics all of these patients that were not good cases and would just look at the good cases, I think the results will be similar if we do it today or if we did it in the past. Carlota, may I say something which is, I think, a nice, interesting story? I believe one of the crucial future goals of this technique should be to find an approach to perform the technique from the transfemoral axis, minimizing the need to coming from above. And I'm very happy to have here Mario Lascia because Mario Lascia was the inventor of the lift technique. We published this 2013 or 14 in the Journal of Investor Therapy. The lift technique actually is the technique you are deploying, in this case, a self-expanding viable stand. You are fixing with a balloon and with the sheath, you, due to the flexibility of the device, you create this 
parallel configuration. Do you think, Mario, in this context, should we have a goal to identify a standardized or a technique to perform Chiva by using the transfemoral axis? Because this, I think, will expand the applicability of this device and technique. What do you think? I think it's a good idea. And if you have looked, there have been, I think, in one or two papers yeah. showing that with the steerable sheaths, you, yeah. you can even perform multi-branch devices transfemorally. We did also some hypogastric with a steerable mm -hmm. device, and it gives you a very nice support. And I think then you could be able to use even balloon expandable stem graft from transfemoral, at least for the one renal. Uh, because if you want to address two and to make a kissing with all of the three, the aortic plus the two branches will be difficult. Especially in, in renal arteries in which you don't have a downward-oriented renal artery, also the axis from above and after deployment, you can have, if you have a more horizontal face of the renal, you don't have a nice placement of the device. So you see that the chimney graft is stressing. And for these specific anatomies, I think transfemoral axis is more anatomically and probably more beneficial for the patient. I agree, but you still want to have a chimney configuration. So yeah. looking at the top. A couple of other questions. What do you think of the recommendation of CHIVAR in the 2018 AAA BSBS guidelines with a class 2B recommendation based on the level C evidence, which states that parallel graphs may be considered as an alternative in the emergency setting or when fenestrated graphs are not indicated or available where the bailout, ideally restricted to two chimneys in patients with juxtarenal abdominal aortic aneurysms. I think this is a very important recommendation. I remember our good friend Frank Vith who said uh, the chimney technique is not anymore the poor sister, oh, as you said nicely. <laughs> and in this context, I think it's crucial because it gives the role which, let's say, we consider at the beginning. And the next step is to identify the role of this technique in elective, degenerative, standard aneurysm and not, let's say, very, very complicated uh, pathologies and anatomies. But this, of course, helps because we know in many, many centers in the world, you don't have any other option than Chivar. For example, Indonesia, and they have a more than 200 million people there, but they don't have any other option than Chivar for uh, parenal uh, pathology. And uh, as to evidence for the next guidelines, are there any ongoing trials that we should be on the lookout that could provide further evidence supporting this technique? Yeah, I think the Enchant trial is a prospective, multicentric, with collab uh, trial, which will uh, give us important information because we have in a prospective manner evaluation of the patients and the interim experience is very promising and shows reproducible outcomes, which is crucial when you are expecting the IFQ as you highlighted for Chivar. But of course, there are also a plethora of other studies and centers I think it's important to don't be afraid to speak and present your chimney experience because you know very well that somehow I have the feeling sometimes at meetings, very often you have the question how you would do the technique. And many people, to be, let's say, politically correct, they raise their hand and say fever, but they are not doing this. So with other words, I think it's important to expand the experience. We need more centers to publish their results 
independent if they are good or bad, but we need more, let's say, expansion of the experience, not only in the well-known centers and the well-known names, but also different colleagues from different centers in uh, Switzerland, in Italy, in uh, the Netherlands. They have very good experience. We have seen many cases, and I think it's important to report also on this. But uh, ideally, you agree it would be the best uh, level of evidence having centers that do fenestrated, branched, and chimneys and to have a randomized trial. Yeah, I think what we would say is that I don't believe that we, we should have this very interesting and very important from the scientific point of view. But in general, I would avoid to present the one or the other technique like the ABBA song, the winner take it all. I think it's important to have in your mind that the techniques are complementary. There are good indications for fever branch and technology. There are good indications for Chivar. The techniques are complementary. And I think this is important also for our physicians. For example, if you have suboptimal anatomical conditions in the renals, probably it's better endo-anchoring in order to avoid cannulation, etc. So there are a plethora of anatomical and um, preoperative key factors which plays a crucial role, but we believe that the techniques are complementary. I think that is a really good point, having a plethora of techniques to be able to assess the anatomy with the best technique possible. And I think that's also a fantastic way to end this really interesting interview about Chimney Ivar. So thank you both so much. It's been absolutely great having you here and being able to ask you all these questions. Pleasure. It was great to meeting you. Ciao, guys. Ciao, ciao, Mario. Ciao. We will be back soon with more Vascular Forum podcasts. Remember, you can listen to all podcasts open access in SoundCloud, Spotify, the Vascular Forum webpage, and the ESVS e-library. Have a great day, everybody, and bye-bye for now.